0: On Commons People this week.
1: Our discussions this week have exposed yet again that the UK's approach is substantially more
0: flexible and pragmatic. Brexit talks going nowhere.
2: Is it your intention to
0: lead the Tory party into the next general election?
2: Yes, I'm here for the long
3: term.
0: Theresa May going nowhere.
3: And I want to give the next person the space and time to do the right thing by
0: the party. Kezia Dugdale, she's just going. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, and this week, Paul War and Rachel Wearmouth. Let's get straight on with Brexit. The UK and the EU met in Brussels this week for the latest round of negotiations. And based on the press conference with David Davis and Michelle Barnier on Thursday afternoon, it did not go particularly well. Barnier said there had been no decisive progress on key issues and negotiations are still quite far away from being in a position to begin talks on the, on the trade arrangements. He claimed the single market must not and will not be undermined by Brexit and it would be simply impossible for UK standards to be automatically recognised by the EU. David Davis, for his part, said that while progress had been made on some issues, there are significant differences to be bridged on the divorce bill. Here's David Davis in action.
1: We remain committed to making as much progress as possible on these issues that are solely related to our withdrawal, but our discussions this week have exposed yet again that the UK's approach is substantially more flexible and pragmatic than that of the EU, as it avoids unnecessary disruption for businesses and consumers. We propose pragmatic solutions to prevent this disruption, and we urge the EU to be more imaginative and flexible in their approach to withdrawal on this point.
0: So the press conference happened uh, about an hour and a half before we recorded this podcast, and it was I mean, the previous press conferences between these two have been quite nice. It's been like, well, we disagree a little bit, but we're, you know, we're friends and we're mature people and we're grown ups and you want the same thing. Today, I got the sense that it was a bit like, right, okay, I'm not happy anymore Yeah, both of them.
2: Well, that's, that's what's really refreshing about it in a way. So they've dumped the sort of the, the illusion that somehow they're great pals. I mean, obviously, in the past, they're both silver foxes, grey-haired blokes who've been around in politics for a long time. Is the silver
0: so, fox thing important? Because you mentioned that quite a really lot. It's right.
2: <laughs> really important, really um, important. Particularly for their fan base, respectively. And they've both, you know, been in politics for a while and they both share this passion for mountaineering. You know, I think D.D. gave him as a present a walking stick and vice versa. So they keep going about this sort of mateyness. But we all knew at some point that would all have to stop, and actually it gets real. And today we saw it for the first time. And what I found fascinating was the idea, the respective definitions of progress. You had Barnier saying there's been no decisive progress, but you had Dd saying there'd been concrete progress. Now, one of them
0: is lying. I don't know which one. Or maybe they both are telling the truth and they both believe that there has been yeah. this progress. Maybe, maybe Brexit this is in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. You, you watched this, Rachel, so you all did. What, what was your take on it? It seemed quite I saw testing. some of it,
3: yeah. Uh, well, testy, yeah, fractious. It would seem to, yeah, like you say, getting very, very tense and um, I think uh, Barney at one point uh, accused the UK of a, a kind of nostalgia. Um, Accusing Brexiters
0: <laughs> of nostalgia? Well, I won't be having that going on. And now, it ain't what or? it used to be, as yeah, we all know. Yeah, yeah, thank
3: you. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it does seem to threaten to get a little bit nasty down the road, you would have thought, by judging by today. And
0: the, the main sticking point seems to be that the UK think that we are now in the position to move to the next phase of talks, which is when you can do the trade deal, because their argument is you could only agree so much on the divorce bill and Northern Ireland and citizens' rights. Until you get into the trade negotiations to see, for example, with a divorce bill, we don't want to pay twice for things, right? Pay for something because we're leaving it, and then we might still access it. All this kind of stuff. Whereas Barnier's position seems to be, no, we're not. We're not there yet. We are. We are nowhere near. You don't. You know. You're. What you think you should pay for the divorce bill is, is billions away from what we think. Oh, yeah, wow. well, so that, how does this ever resolve itself? Paul?
2: that's why uh, one of the most fascinating reports came out last night from the from the Telegraph, where the EU negotiators were outraged that a quote young man from Whitehall had raised had spent three hours going through line by line the divorce bill uh, set proposal from the EU. And they were horrified that this young man from Whitehall basically implied that what they were doing was illegal. And he went through it by saying, well, that might not be legal. That might not be legal. That might not be legal. And David Davis, as we all know, is not just a civil libertarian. He really believes in the rule of law. It's fundamental to his politics, whether it's on, you know, ID cards or whatever. But it's, it's his former politics. And the rule of law comes first. And it, you could say it's an Anglo-Saxon versus European version of, of the world. But actually, it's central to what the British government are arguing. Look, you, you, you we owe this, but you know, prove it legally. You're gonna have to. Now, the problem with going down that route is negotiations aren't always about the law, they're all about give and take and a bit of here and there. And I think Barney's strongest point was, Look, I'm open to negotiate if I've got a position to negotiate with. So far, we've got a position, they don't have one.
0: But is there a sense that you know that the perception's been certainly from the press in this country, the majority of the press in this country? that Britain are the ones who are sort of dragging their feet and the EU are there ready to go. Do you think there's just starting to be a sense that actually the EU needs to be a bit more flexible here in the negotiations? Because actually, yeah, they've set out, they want to do all these things first before they get onto the trade deal. Britain have produced all these position papers, all this kind of stuff. Do you think there's a sense that, that Barnier actually maybe does need to change his tact a little bit and actually start, you know, is, he not, is Barnier not showing all the reasons why we're leaving the EU it's inflexibility? It's a very good point. Overly I mean, bureaucratic. Absolutely. And the fact that suddenly a
2: lot of people in Whitehall and, and in the Tory party are saying, look, you Know, we knew we'd get to this stage in the talks where the EU would show, what it, show its real face. In other words, it's not just this grandly efficient negotiating mach- machine that sorts out trade deals here and there. It's actually quite a dysfunctional, obstructive, you know, overly bureaucratic organisation, which actually th- the talks are proving it instead of getting on with the simple stuff and clearing it and also accepting the reality that we've got to talk about a trade at the same time as a divorce bill. They're just showing, you know, their true colours.
0: I suppose there's a lot of pressure on this divorce bill because the implications are of it that the people who pay into the EU budget at the moment, the net contributors, their bill's gonna go up when Britain leaves. The people who the EU members who are the net beneficiaries, they're gonna want to make sure they still get the money. So I guess there is this is why the divorce bill is so central. Is that the pressure's being put on Barnier, do you think?
3: I think there is some some pressure on Barnier there, definitely. Um uh I would also say that it seems that it also depends on who has leverage here, because at the end of the day, the UK is negotiating on its own um, and the EU is stand as 28, so they can kind of hold out for as long as they need to in some ways. So um, the clock is ticking for us, but not ticking for them, some would say.
0: And that's what Barnier keeps saying, doesn't he? He keeps saying that you're the ones who started mm-hmm. this process. You can get as annoyed at me as you want, you're the ones that are leaving. Yeah. yeah, well,
3: that's exactly what he said today, yeah.
0: But politically, you would have
2: thought it's a bit daft of Barnier to sort of you know walk into the trap of of looking obstructive and sort of inflexible you would have thought at least you'd try and help his allies in Britain, which is, you know, Tory Remainers and the Labour Party and others, by actually saying, look, we're trying our damnedest here to help you out, but you've just got nothing. It, today, that didn't look like that. It, and I think politically that's quite stupid of him.
0: We'll talk about Labour later on, but let's talk about Labour's Brexit position, because they've got one, people. Ah, yeah, I know. And it's sort of been held together for about four days now, and they haven't changed it, so I'm getting quite excited. This might be a proper policy. The sort of thing does excited, It does get you excited, Owen. So Labour's policy that Keir Starmer set out, Uh, in the weekend, was that they want to keep Britain in the single market and a customs union, which is very important, the A, um, for an interim period after we leave, right? Which is basically saying we want to stay in the single market. The A customs union versus the the customs union. Listeners, you might be thinking, why is Owen getting so annoyed about that? I'm not annoyed, but I'll tell you this. Because staying in the customs union is staying in the deal we've got now. Staying in a customs union is exactly the same position as the government, which is they want a new customs union for a temporary period, after March 2019, which gives us all the same benefits we've got now, but we can negotiate trade deals.
2: Yeah, the difference between the indefinite and the definite article, as grammarians would say. Exactly. But, look, but their, their
0: position's good, right? they finally got but, one, which makes but sense. But Labour right? has got
2: a position. You know, They can. They've, they've been struggling for a long time to have something sellable on the doorstep. And on the doorstep, then, they can now say, look... Until we actually really sort out the final Brexit for a temporary period, let's stick with what we've got in this single market, the way we're we're trading at the moment. On this customs union thing, you're right. They they want something similar to what the government want, which is you can't stay in the customs union. You've got to leave it. You have something similar. Um, Now, what's really been interesting about that is that Labour's position, where's it come from? Why suddenly Keir Starmer popped up and made this grand announcement, and it's a very shrewd one because it's united them with the SNP, with some Tory Remainers, it's certainly united Labour Party, which is, as we say, overwhelmingly pro-Remain, not like the country, but the party membership is overwhelmingly, including Corbyn Easter's pro-Remain. So it's united the parties, united the opposition, it's been smart politics, but where's it come from? I was told that one of the real reasons for, for the line changing was when Barry Gardner, who's Labour's shadow trade secretary, um, said earlier in the summer, actually, um, we've got to leave the single market, we've got to leave a customs union, that the unions, trade unions, really kicked off about it. And that plus Starmer being allowed to say what he wanted to say, plus John McDonnell and the left of the party saying, actually, we need to be fighting the government and ma- having a clear position. Um, that all combined together made um, what we saw at the, the weekend from Starmer
0: someone who very close to the Shadow Cabinet said to me today that trying to come up this Brexit policy was like one of those fairground rides where you like whack a mole where you pop something down with a hammer and then something pops up somewhere else. It so was trying to get all those down and they think they managed to get them all down now. I mean is it Love it's, that game. No, you're <laughs> I do, but is it, it's, Rachel? This is we're surprised that Labour have got in a position, right? But it does seem to hang together.
3: Um, I think it, it, it does hang together, yeah, but I think they're gonna have to perhaps come out um to say what they want to do long term further down the line, because yeah. um you know, you look, you, they're going to be fighting the Scottish elections before long and that's going to, that's very much a, a pro-Remain nation. So they're going to want to have a very, very clear answer on what Labour wants to do long term with Brexit.
2: Yeah, because at the moment it's a holding position for what's happening in the t- temporary period till we really,
0: really do leave the EU. Um, let's move on now. Uh, Theresa May, you remember her? She's insisted she wants to stay on as leader of the Conservative Party. Until the next general election, despite being dubbed a dead woman walking. The Tory party leader assisted to reporters while on a visit to Japan that she is here for the long term. Here's a clip.
2: Yes, I'm here for the long term, and it's crucial. What my, me and my government are about is not just delivering on Brexit. We are delivering a brighter future for the United Kingdom.
0: Asked about the PM's promise, former Tory party chairman Grant Shapps said, this will raise some eyebrows, let's see some delivery for the British people, then let's see where we are. And he went on to say that she's not quite the next Margaret Thatcher. Um, I mean, are we we surprised by Theresa May saying this? Because what else was she going to say? Was she going to say, no, I'm going to set down for next elections? And isn't that an even bigger news story? It really smelled to me like
2: a brilliant lobby trap on a foreign trip. And when lobby hacks go with the prime minister on on the, on the plane abroad, we're all desperate to get a story. You know, you've paid you thousands of pounds to get on this plane. You want a story to justify it to your newspaper or your news organization back home. And, you know, th- th- let's be honest, political journalists are very good at trapping prime ministers with tricky questions. And so this was asked on the plane it was asked several times and then she finally eventually said, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to quit until the next general election. I'm, I'm going to lead us into the next general election." Then the TV crews got wind of what had happened on the plane, put it to her and um, she couldn't change her line. She, in fact, she, she doubled down. And I think, I think that's where she made her mistake where she came up with this phrase. I'm not a quitter. Now, you know, every prime minister ultimately is a quitter unless they're really thrashed in a general election. Now, Theresa May didn't win the last general election completely convincingly let's be honest she didn't get a majority and so she's a different position even from David Cameron who, who felt he had to put a time limit on his, on his tenure. Tony Blair obviously had a difficulty with it as well. The golden rule is you answer that question by saying look I I hope to, to stay as Prime Minister as long as the public and my party want me. Well, that's that, what she said in the, the summer yeah. and that's the sensible answer but it sounds to me as though the law be, thanks to laying this trap for her, have actually forced her into saying something that she actually does believe, which is now much more confident. She's waiting for the autumn to to be more ballsy and to face down all the people who are plotting against her and saying, actually, she was such a disaster, we've got to get rid of her. And there's quite a few of those, don't forget. But she's she knows she, she can call their bluff right now. David Davis, he's not in a position to run for Tory leader right now. Boris Johnson certainly isn't. Um, there are others, you know, who are friends of Michael Gove have been talking about this, but there's a small number of MPs who've got an appetite for leadership. Well, not, Mi- Most oh, not Michael Gove, surely yeah, not, not to Michael go for Gove. Not to go for it, but honestly, he, but his friends want to see
0: ch- a ch- ch- change of leader for obvious reasons. But um, but it, she's a liar, right? Because she said before there'd be no general election. There's a general election. She's a liar, a Prime Minister. Well, let's be okay. No, let's be honest, right? She said all that time there's not going to be a general election. There was a general election. She said lots of things like this, right? She's now she's saying she's going to stay to the next general election. Why, why do I believe it? Why do I believe a single thing she says, Rachel? Come on, stand up for the Prime Minister. <laughs>
3: um, well, she kind can't... can't, can uh, you? The, well, She's sitting down difficult. for the Prime Minister right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um, I think it also feeds into the line of um, Theresa May, the Maybot as well. She's kind of... We all know that what she said um, to the 1922 committee. You all know what she said to the party, what she comes out and says, you know, absolutely not, I'm carrying on, I'm staying on this track. Um, so again, it doesn't do much for her... Um, personal rating to the public either. I, I
2: think, think. That the problem is that most of the Tory party want Brexit, okay? They want it delivered and they're really really happy to see her in place until Brexit is delivered. But once Brexit's delivered, all bets are off. I mean, the thing that triggered this whole thing was a brilliant Sunday Mirror story, speculative story from the other week where a Tory MP who'd seen Theresa May at Chequers for one of these canapé and Prosecco drinks parties had had got the impression that she would stay until Brexit and then leave soon after. In other words... August in 2019. This is where this all came from. That's why the hacks of mm. asked her about it. And that kind of timetable sounds about right, really. Because if you're the Tory party, you've got to think about the next general election. Every party has to future plan, as we said last week. And future planning means, well, who, who is the best person to lead you in 2022? And the other certainty is there won't be a general election until 2022, as much as Labour would like it. And so the Tories have a bit of time on their side but not much time. They can't leave Theresa May in place until, you know, just six months before a general election. They've got to hold a a leadership election. They've got to make sure they get the right person. And they've got to make sure that the country, crucially, knows how new and modern the party is. That might be a new generation leader like someone like Tom Tuggenhat, who's been talked about a lot. He's the Tory, young Tory, former special advisor with a military background, who is now the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Now, you know, he's the kind of guy that a lot of Tories are saying, well, He's the fresh face for the next generation. If By you Minister need like that, Prime Minister Tracy Crouch, mate, Well, still her, <laughs> but you need time to bed them in. And you know, <laughs> Theresa May fighting the next election, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So she was in Japan uh, this week talking about uh, trade because the Japanese have just done a uh, outline of a trade deal with the EU, and it's so good that we're going to copy and paste it. Apparently, yeah. So that's that's how trade deals work now. Apparently, now we left the EU, we literally just copy and paste the ones that EU have done. I mean. It, Again, I asked the question, what is Brexit for people? This is nonsense. But anyway, I'm not gonna get too annoyed about that. Don't. But this leads on to this week's quiz. I I'm gonna uh, And this, this is this is a corker,
2: isn't this it? Is this is really bad going. this
0: week. I was I was gonna do it and then the press conference was on and I got the Yeah, distracted, he's making excuses, listener. So I'm gonna give you the name of something, and you've got to tell me this is so bad and probably mildly offensive if it's the name <laughs> sums you up. of one of the top thirty <laughs> Japanese employees in the UK. Right? Right. Or a Pokemon Go character?
2: Oh, that's not bad, actually. Right? Okay. That's not Rachel? bad. Okay, go.
0: Seeing so, as you are, you're from the northeast, right? you should know this, because Japan is like big in the northeast, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know why I did that. She, yeah. she virtually speaks the language. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. What? what Geordie? <laughs> <Right>. um, okay. <laughs> Kakuna. How do you spell it? I think... Uh, K-A-K-U-N-A... So, the question is, is it a
2: real Japanese <laughs> multinational <laughs> yeah, 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 or is yeah, yeah. it a Pokemon Go character? That's right,
0: that's right, Paul. That is that is the essence of this week's quiz. And what are the two alternatives? Uh, Pokemon, Pokemon Go or, or Pokemon off. No?
2: Pokemon, Pokemon Off. Oh, Pokemon well, No or... Pokemon or? Go. Okay. Kakuna. I, I say that's Pokemon No. I think that's a real company. That's I'm cool. going to say Pokemon Go? Have you Just written it down?
3: I, well, I want to see how it was spelled. Right.
2: Yeah, don't no <laughs> It is a Pokemon Go character. Is it? Yeah.
0: Shows what I'm uh, Alakazam.
2: <laughs> Something tells me that might, I don't know, that might see? be Pokemon Go character. Pokemon Go.
3: That
0: is Pokemon <laughs> Go. Uh, Yazaki. I can't, I can't
2: visualise no? it. Pokemon Go?
0: I'm going to say Pokemon No. I think that's a real company. It is a real company. It employs 1,846 people, apparently. Wow. Um, Ituchu. Ituchu? Ituchu. It's got to be Pokemon Go.
3: Um, no idea. Pokemon Go.
0: No, it is the third biggest Japanese employer. 6,697. Oh. What do they do? I don't know. I didn't delve that far. In oh, come on. I was on.
2: <laughs> By the way, is it Pokemon or
0: Pokemon? Pfft. <laughs> I Come on, know. you're a young person. No, I'm You're not. both 32. young people.
2: You're both young. Come on.
0: Uh, Dentsu. What? Dentzu. Dentsu. Dentsu. That
2: sounds like a Pokemon Go. Character. Poke- Pokemon
3: No.
0: No, it's a character. That is a company. Yeah, yeah well on. Do you know that one? How many does um, that employ? I had
3: a feeling. wasn't certain.
0: Right, okay. And finally, Aerodactyl. As
3: Aerodactyl. in Pterodactyl. <laughs> How, How do you spell that? I'm going to go Pokemon Go for that one. How do you spell it?
0: A-E-R-O-D-A-C-T-Y-L. I think
2: I'm going to go wild here. I'm going to say that's a real Japanese company. Pokemon. Do you know what, Paul? No. You're wrong. It's oh, it's Pokemon balls. Go Aerodactyl. All right? It's worth that, a was, go. that
0: was this week's quiz. It's possibly one of the worst. <laughs> I know. That was really bad on it. I'm, I apologise now. I'm trying to remember what could be worse than that, actually. But people, anyway. I think the best ones still, old and Blue are just not true. When I said, was this a real blue plaque in Oldham, or did I make it up? Actually that is. That, that was like one of bad. the uh, if you haven't listened to that, it's one of the earliest podcast episodes. It was. It oh, <laughs> was <I> good that <laughs> was good that one. It was like was the first I do think Moggle or buy. Muggle last week I know. Was, was priceless. Yeah. So. Anyway, and moving, moving on. on. Anyway, listen people, we nearly did it. We nearly made it through the summer without a Labour leadership contest. Uh-huh. However, Kezia Dugdale has resigned as leader of Scottish Labour, saying it is time to pass on the baton to someone else. Dugdale, who's leaving the position with immediate effect, uh, threw her weight behind Owen Smith when he challenged Jeremy Corbyn for the leadership of the party last year. has faced criticism from left-wing members ever since. She insisted she was not leaving the role because she was pushed but a new leader was needed with fresh energy drive and a new mandate. Here's a clip.
3: And I've just come to the conclusion that the best thing for it, the Labour Party, this precious precious thing that's done so much good in our country um, and indeed for me uh, is to pass that baton on. What I'm trying to do is something that politicians rarely do which is to leave with my head held high uh, without any sort of crisis. I've made it clear to you that I've been in this leadership role at a very difficult time in my party's history, a very challenging time in Scottish politics. A lot has happened in two and a half years, but there's four years ahead before the next election. I want to give the next person the space and time to do the right thing by the party.
0: Rachel, you are our expert on all things Scottish Northern, (laughs) not London, right, because I'm so broke. Why is this I mean I was surprised. I don't know much about Scottish politics, right? But I was surprised. So I thought she was doing a good job, they're up in the general election. She seemed even though she wasn't a Corbynite, there seemed to be a bit of a truce there. Were it you it,
3: it, it, that's it it's it it to sound a bit like a politician. The answer to that is yes and no. Um everyone expected um Kezia to go once the election once the general election had taken place, because they expected Labour to do so, so badly. Um, they'd done really badly at the local elections, um, the Scottish elections, they were moved into third place behind the Conservatives, which um, had never been heard of before that. Um, and Dugdale had shared office staff, everyone thought that she was going to go, it was kind of like openly acknowledged that she she may go after the general election. And then um, Scottish Labour went from one MP to seven MPs, and that all changed. So. Um, they thought, oh, well, she'll probably stay around now to to fight the Scottish elections because, you know, she looks like she's now in a strong position. Um, she seemed to have got on board a little with the, the Corbyn project. But um, you've got to look at Scotland slightly separately in that um, Jeremy Corbyn didn't win the leadership contest up there. Owen Smith did. Um, so it's not, um, not exactly That's the same type of membership. Yeah. So, um, it so it was a bit of a bombshell, basically, yeah. in short,
0: yeah. Was she in a position where, if Scottish Labour done badly, she gets the blame, and Scottish Labour does well, Corbyn gets the credit? Was that the feeling, um, or was that not the case? That it was she sh- she was given the credit for Scottish Labour doing well in the general election.
3: Um, yeah, I mean she 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 campaigned in some of the constituencies that that they won, so so it's not like um, it was it completely blindsided her. You know, she was kind of doing the work there as well. I think she got a lot of criticism for her strategy. Um, the Campaign for Socialism, which is kind of like the Momentum sister group up in Scotland, they accused the the leadership of being in a better together mindset and still fighting it on those kind of pro-union, pro-independence lines. Um, so they kind of saw her as um, not really talking about um, standard of living issues and things like that, and t- taking on the SNP too much while allowing Ruth Davidson's conservatives to to come back a little bit more. So.
2: Um, she took some criticism there, but I, I would say she got some credit as well. It's um, interesting that actually you can you can see, if, if you're a left winger who lives in Scotland, you can actually see this through the prism of Corbynism. And you can say, actually, look, the only reason you went up from one to seven is because of Jeremy Corbyn, because there was this Corbyn surge nationally. And even in Scotland, you had to feel it. But they would also say at the same time, even so, you know, the Tories did much better than Labour at the general election. Um, and what's going wrong there? It's something. Is it something to do with Kezia? Is it something to do with the Scottish Labour Party? And as if somehow Kezia was the handicap on Corbynism. And I think that's the way they would view it. And Rachel's right though, the membership in Scotland, I mean, I looked at this stat as, as Rachel says, Owen Smith actually beat Jeremy Corbyn amongst the membership um, in, in, the, in the leadership election last year. He got Jeremy Corbyn got 46%. Owen Smith got 53% of the votes amongst the membership. So it's more right, certainly than the party nationally, certainly the party in England and Wales. Um, and that at the time of the leadership election with Smith versus Corbyn, the other interesting thing, apart from Scotland, was that pre-2015, members of the Labour Party backed Owen Smith uh, in larger numbers. Uh, it was, it, this big surge of new members that are joined actually that prove the party has changed certainly in England I mean radically changed it's not the same Labour Party at all we, we say the phrase Labour Party but it doesn't mean the same thing anymore it's not the same apart from the activists in some CLPs who are long-standing people when it comes to the makeup of the Labour Party it's radically changed um, and I think that's why in Scotland it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not Anasawa who's the, seen as the guy as a sort of centrist success successor to, to Kezia Dugdale and previous Scottish leaders, whether or not he actually does win amongst that membership.
0: And what's implications just nationally? Because she had quite an important role on things like the NEC, didn't she? So this is going to, in the, the ongoing chess game that there is that never ends yeah. between the leader's office and the NEC and the and how, what, what is, how does this change that dynamic?
2: I wrote a big piece about this yesterday. Basically, I think people can overdo now the idea that the NEC is this sort of crucible of... uh, of discontent where everyone's at each other's throats. It was certainly not the case a year ago, there's no question, where you had these really tense, five-hour-long meetings at the NEC, stuff you haven't seen since the 1980s in Labour Party, um, where the, the right and the left are at each other, and they're arguing over tiny bits of rule changes and tiny little... It's like trench warfare. They move a bit f- five steps forward, and then they move their the, the, the barbed wire a bit further back. And, and and we I remember regularly voting on um seeing what the votes were, and you'd have a sixteen fourteen split in the vote. You'd have a seventeen fifteen split in the vote it was that it was that finely balanced, but since the general election. A lot has changed, not just the Parliamentary Labour Party, where the mood is, look, look, we're all Corbynistas now, but also on the NEC. And the divisions now are more technical. And But uh, actually, ultimately, it seems much more united. it was The last meeting in July was really relaxed. One crucial point um, to make, though, is that it's not really Kezia Dugdale, whether or not she's replaced by a left winger or a right winger, will, will alter that fine balance of power. It's more to do with the fact that Tom Watson has sort of absented himself from the from the battlefield, and at the last meeting he didn't turn up, much to the uh, surprise of a lot of people on the centre, because um, he's basically said, right, to Jeremy Corbyn, look, this is your you you did really well in the general election, you do with this what you want now, I'm not going to stand in your way, and I think that overall in the long term will have much more impact than Kez, Kez not being on the
0: on the, the NEC. You went up to Scotland last week, you to catch up with uh, what are they called? What are the Americans call Corbyn, the absolute boy, the absolute boy, the absolute boy, uh, Jesse Corbyn. You had a little chat with him, and there's a, a little bit of that now. And you started off by asking him a brilliant question about whether or not how we define just patriotism. Let's have a listen to that.
1: Patriotism is about caring for the people that have elected you.
3: Um, what would you say to people who who agree with the piece that uh, Sarah Sarah Champion wrote in the, the Sun?
1: We mustn't demonize a community of people because the actions of people in abusing women or abusing children or of grooming people is illegal, is appalling and is wrong. They should of course be prosecuted for it. But you cannot say it's um, a feature of an entire ethnic community. It has to be feature of criminal behavior by those people that conduct that undertake those awful practices
3: has the way she's dealt with it made it more difficult to talk about this issue
1: she's resigned from the um, position that she held um, I've got a lot of time and a lot of respect for Sarah for her work for women and she's going to carry on doing that and we've um, we, we've agreed on that I'm appointing somebody to replace her and we will carry on representing all communities in this country and we will not be demonizing any any one community.
0: So obviously, asking about the Sarah Champion stuff there, I just want to touch on that very, very briefly. How how damaging was that to Labour? The fact that Sarah Champion made that comment when she said that there is a problem we have with Asian men exploiting young girls. I mean, was that a misstep from her? Was that actually indication of what she really thinks? And then the fact that she was made to to quit. I mean, what does that where does that leave Labour on this very tricky issue?
3: Um, it's quite difficult to tell. I think that one.
2: I think the problem with that the, the whole Sarah's Champion episode was that a lot of people in the Labour Party, MPs and members, were united in feeling a bit of, whoa, hold on a tick, uh, um, you know... This is not what labor stands for. you can 't you know castigate a whole ethnic group by with the crimes of a few people, and that's why ultimately and doing it in the sun as well so you've got people in the even in the shadow cabinet who are not normally Jeremy Corbyn fans who thought that that was daft by Sarah Champion and inevitable that she had to go now she does have the defenders some fellow MPs think she shouldn't have been she'd been cast aside unfairly um but overall, I think what's really. Significant is that you, you, she's managed somehow to unite the people who are on the centre and on the left in saying, actually, this is not the sort of politics Labour stands for, no matter what the individual merits are of of, uh, of the case. Well, we but uh, I think on, when it comes to the more th- important point, is actually uh, the patriotism quote that Jeremy Corbyn gave to Rachel, because I think that rather neatly sums up why Jeremy Corbyn is a different kind of Labour leader. He's tearing up all the rules about the normal rules are. You say I'm really patriotic. I back our troops, come what may. You you say I back our military action. The government has said it. We all stand together. This house is united. We're a united. We're, we're official loyal opposition. Um, and Jeremy Corbyn isn't like that. As we saw in the general election, when this whole issue of the Manchester terror bomb occurred, he was quite ballsy the Friday after that and saying, "No, actually, th- this this terrorism is linked to foreign policy," and he was similarly. Ballsy when it comes to patriotism in general. He says, Look, my patriotism isn't about um, the military or Trident or the number of troops we've got. It's about food banks. It's about helping those in need. And that kind of original message is what really strikes a chord, not just with Labour Party members, but actually people who are thinking, oh, hold on a it, yeah, actually, yeah, it's, it's about time we had something different on that agenda. And I thought Rachel did really well to get that out of him. I, I mean, you speak uh, to
0: him I mean, blindly as yeah. an How do you find him, Rachel, Christ. generally?
3: Um, I think I think he's a, he can be very short when you first to start the interview, but um, he, when he warms up, he does tend to elaborate on points a, a little bit more. But um, you can see that there's a lot of distrust of the media there so it takes him some time to, to relax but when you, when you ask him a, a, a straight up question about his beliefs he tends to be pretty frank I think. And it struck
2: a chord didn't it with with the islanders in, in the Isle of Lewis and, and, and elsewhere in Scotland where he went on tour it sounds like
3: Yes, yes, he he seemed to get a a lot of crowds absolutely everywhere that he went. Um, He focused more on the the central belt as opposed to, um, well, he got a lot of criticism, in fact, for not going to areas where the Conservatives are strong now, which would be in the northeast of Scotland and in the borders. Um, He tended to focus a little bit more on the central belt where the SNP is strong. So um, it's interesting that he chose to talk about patriotism up there, particularly when um, nationalism is such a big
2: issue. Yeah, well, that seems like an interesting counterbalance to the SNP. That's why I thought it was significant, what he was saying. And just on the Sarah Champion side of things, I think um, there's there's,
3: there's another part of it, which is how voters might view it as well. I think they want their politicians to be able to talk about that issue and um, to be open about it as well. So I think it's a bit of a...
2: Well, I think, again, you're going to see uh, what you see there actually is the difficulty and it's the same on Brexit, what we talked about at the beginning. Uh, Labour's in this position now where actually some people in the Labour Party think it's it's in real danger of divorcing itself from the, its working class vote. And so let's be frank, some of the working class vote thinks, yeah. Well, it's not racist to talk about, you know, grooming gangs and Asians because they're the guys who have done it. And as the Times have said, you know, of course white men groom girls in much larger numbers, but there's a unique problem that's been argued about this particular culture, subculture, how they view white girls. And some working-class Labour voters will say, well, why shouldn't we talk about that? Why shouldn't we talk about immigration? Why shouldn't we talk about Brexit? Why why should we feel ashamed of what we believe in? And Labour now, right now... Doesn't seem like a home for those people now. Jeremy Corbyn and a lot of Labour members think that's fine. Um, we'll we'll see over time whether or not that makes a difference.
0: Well, next week, is Parliament back next week.
2: It certainly is, it Owen. Is? Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Put it I in your diary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tuesday, sure, sure, Parliament, sure, sure, Parliament returns. Tuesday is it? the right, looking forward to that. Is it PMQs? They get an extra day off. Why? Which is a bit weird. They get Monday off. Monday Why? The fourth. Don't ask me. I got I, well, you knew this strange.
0: stuff. Is PMQs on next week. Yep. Lovely. Right. So we're looking forward to that. We yeah, are. Rachel, looking forward to that. Yes, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Right, okay. So thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Cheers. Bye.
3: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50